The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast coming at you after a game seven victory. Yes, you heard me right. A game seven win. What a series that was. I feel like I've aged 15 years. I feel like I'm on my third heart. It has been an absolute wild couple of weeks where the Clippers have taken on the Dallas Mavericks, but the Clippers win by 15, 126 to 111, and no one better to break this down than my buddy Joey Lynn, who joins us on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Joey, I was looking forward to this podcast. Obviously, I wanted this to be a win because it really would have been a therapy session had the Clippers lost, but it's a win, and we move. I'm excited, man. As you said, we did not want to hop on here after a loss. It's just never any fun having to break something like that down, especially if the season were to have ended. But man, that was just so exciting. And I'm super happy for the fan base because even though this is just round one and even though we are far from where we want to be, this is certainly a step in the right direction. And man, it would have been heartbreaking to drop this one. You know what the most disgusting part of it is? Every single time Dallas started to make a run, I felt like my stomach was being punched several times. (laughs) And I was like, oh, here we go again. They're going to blow it. Here we go again. I've been through this before, and you've posted the picture plenty of times on Twitter. The leads the Clippers have had in big games only to end up losing in the series. And I just felt like, all right, that might happen again. And there was a point in the third quarter where Dallas made a run, but the Clippers answered with a 21 to 2 run. And that just, those are not the type of runs you see from the old Clippers. This seems to be a different team and there's a little more optimism despite the fact that they went seven games in round one. I think there's a little more optimism around this team. I mean, you've got people on the outside now saying that this team could be in the finals. You got Jeff Van Gundy saying it. I've got somebody I know that works at the ringer that was just saying it, that the Clippers could be a finals team. It's weird, the narrative that shifts, right? I mean, you posted the clip from Nick Wright, who was just an ultimate clown, who posted after the series was 2-0 that, all right, go ahead, shovel dirt on him, it's over, this is the end of the Clippers franchise. And now, you have got people that are going to have to go and take their tails that are underneath their behinds and go and hide because the Clippers are in the second round. It's just such a wild turn of events being a Clippers fan, going through the highs and the lows. It's difficult, right? Oh, it's extremely difficult, and I think a lot of the fan base even can resonate with some of the sentiments that were flying around after Game 2. I mean, I'll even admit myself, as you you can see with some of the stuff I put out, I was very concerned after Game 2 because I think this is only the fifth time now in NBA history that a home team has lost their first two games and then come back to win the series, so the odds were certainly stacked against the Clippers. Uh, but some of the takes were ridiculous. I really don't have much of an issue with people saying the series uh, was over after Game 2 because I understand why they may have thought that. But it's the things that they were saying about players like Kawhi or about the Clippers franchise as a whole. They were basically exaggerating why those two games happened the way that they did because if you look at the numbers it was really just bad shooting by the Clippers role players and insane shooting by the Mavs it was just a matter of time before Dallas cooled off and it started to happen as the series shifted over to Dallas I and mean, it really seemed like Luca thought that 
the Staples Center was his backyard. I mean, the guy was unbelievable, and he turned into Steph Curry when he was playing in Staples Center. It was a matter of time before things started to shift to the Clippers, and that leads me to where I want to start this podcast. And it was a matter of time before the Clippers started hitting their open threes, and the role players, who had been so damn good all year. You look at a guy like Marcus Morris that was shooting around 45% from three all season long. You look at Luke Kennard, who was shooting around 47% from three. You look at Terrence Mann, who had single-handedly helped the Clippers win games throughout the regular season. Every single time the Clippers needed somebody besides Kawhi and PG to step up during the regular season, there was somebody there. Reggie Jackson would step into big minutes when Pat Beverly got hurt. It was a total team effort. Seven players in double figures. Of course, PG and Kawhi were two of them, but five others in double figures. It seemed like this was the most Clippers 2021 win where it was a total team effort. And that's what I talked about on every single platform that I possibly could. I said it time and time again, and that's why I did that prayer circle last night uh, on Twitter where I said, basketball gods, we gather before you here today that ask, to ask that the Clippers can regain their shooting form because that's what it was about, man. We just needed everybody. You knew Kawhi, could, you could pencil him in for 30. You knew he was going to give you that. Uh, you knew PG was going to give you a pretty good all-around game, but you didn't know what you were going to get from the others, and that's how it's been all series long. You didn't know what you were going to get from the others, and finally today they stepped up. Marcus Morris, Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, Nick Batum, Reggie Jackson, all of those guys, man, hit big shots, made big plays. It, it was just fantastic. The Clippers as a team ended up shooting 20 of 43 from three. I mean, that that's the Clippers team that we've seen all season where you go and hit 23s and how about 24 of 24 from the free throw line. The best free throw shooting team in the NBA does not miss a free throw. PG 10 of 10 after going 6 of 10 from the line last game. This was the Clippers team that we saw all season. They shoot 50% from the field. They only turn the basketball over eight times. Four of those from PG. Kawhi Leonard had zero turnovers after having some really bad turnovers in a couple of games. Just a total team effort. And I really want to applaud this Clippers team that finally dug deep and something went their way because it wasn't going their way the first six games. There were guys like Marcus Morris that could not buy a three. But all of a sudden... He started hitting them over the last couple of games. And give credit, man, because when you shoot that poorly, it's very easy to check out of a series. But for Marcus Morris to do what he did today, 7 of 9 from 3, and hit those open shots that he was getting, mook, man, stand up. I mean, that that was a huge performance by Marcus Morris. What did you think of his performance? It was so big, and that's what I mentioned on Twitter yesterday. I said it's the Clippers role players, but especially Marcus Morris. It is so important that he hits shots. He's the Clippers' X factor because they are going to send traps to Kawhi. We know that. We saw that from the Mavs. They really tried to get the ball out of his hands, and part of the reason why they were so successful at the beginning of this series is because they were getting the ball out of his hands and other guys weren't knocking down shots. Marcus Morris had too many games where he just wasn't making his open looks. But finally today, man, I felt it coming. He finally balled out, and he finally knocked down his open jumpers. You want to hear something crazy? You look at the rebounding and how bad it was in the first half. In the first quarter, the Clippers route rebounded 12-1. to In offensive rebounds in the first half, it was 10-1. to It ended up 47 47- to 35. It wasn't as bad. Offensive rebounds 
ended up at 16 to 8. Also not as terrible. But the Clippers were shooting themselves in the foot, not getting rebounds. And it's funny because you win a game like this, you win by 15, Joey, and you think, yeah, everything went your way. You, I mean, you shot really well, both from the field, from three, from the free throw line, didn't turn over the basketball much. But there still is some room to grow with this Clippers team. There is some room for improvement, and rebounding felt like one of those things that very easily could make this a 25-point win. It could have made it a 30-point win if the Clippers would have gotten rebounds. So I still feel like as good as the Clippers were today, it may not have been their best performance. I think they still have a level up to go. What do you think? I agree, because like you said, they did shoot well, and like you said Dallas didn't, but there were still a lot of things that could have been done better. And I think that now that they got out of this series, at least I hope, they can exhale a bit because they're battle-tested now. This group has officially been battle-tested. They had to win a Game 6 elimination game on the road and fly back and win an afternoon game at home in Game 7. And now they're going on to face the Utah Jazz with quite a bit of battle-tested experience under their belt right now. So I think that that's something that's going to matter, and I hope it allows them to play a little bit looser uh, in the second round, limit some of those turnovers, some of those mental mistakes, maybe some of those shots that guys were hesitant on, right? Like you can go into round two knowing that, hey, I'm a guy who can knock that shot down in this big moment because I just did it in game seven against Dallas. I think that that's something you're hopefully – going to see from the Clippers in the next round. That's such a good point. Really good point that you go seven games and sure it sucks in the first round, but your team went down 2-0. Now they know when they go down, they can come back. They went down 20 in game three and they came back. So not only can they come back from being down in the series, but also come back from being down in a game. And that gives those guys that are role players, guys like Terrence Mann, guys like Marcus Morris that give them a little bit more confidence that, hey, we're not done. And so instead of playing tight in those situations, they know they've been there before. And so it allows them to play relaxed. And I'm glad you brought up the 1230 thing because it really wasn't even posted much during the game itself. But that's all everybody was talking about before the game was that the Clippers were really bad throughout the entire regular season during these 1230 games. But what's interesting is And of course, this is a really quick turnaround, like you said, about 40 hours between the end of Game 6 and the start of Game 7. What's interesting is the Clippers have been very good this season when they've had to play a bunch of games in a short amount of time. And that should help them a lot in this series because they're going every other day now against Utah. And while Utah has had a little bit of a break now before Game 1 on Tuesday... The Clippers don't get much of a rest because they got to go and play on Tuesday in game one, and then it's every other day. So this team, not only, like you said, is battle-tested, but they've gone through these stretches where they played a bunch of games in a short amount of time, and that should help them going forward. Absolutely, man. And that was honestly my biggest takeaway, uh, not just from today, but from this entire series, was that I think... You know, obviously, I can't get into the minds of the coaching staff or the players, but I think that they anticipated this series being a little bit easier than it ended up being. And now that they have played arguably the best player they're going to see the rest of the way in the Western Conference, I mean, I think you could actually say that pretty comfortably uh, and and dealt with a group of role players who are playing absolutely out of their minds 
you can go into this next series with an insane amount of confidence and, and, and an insane amount of freedom, understanding that we really just withstood perhaps the most difficult test that we're going to see. And that's not a slight to Utah or Phoenix or any of the teams or, or Denver, any of the teams that they could see down the stretch. Um, but it is just really a, a testament to who Luka Doncic is. I mean, that guy is absolutely incredible. He could be the best player in the league within the next few years. And you just played him in in round one, and he was every bit as good as he possibly can be, was better than he was in the regular season. And then the role players played above their heads as well. So I think you can look at that and understand that you just did something significant, and that should be a real uh, – confidence booster because there was a lot of people who who tried to knock what Kawhi did this series or even what the Clippers as a whole did this series by saying well this series should have never even gone seven so why is everybody hyping them up it's like did you watch the series did you see the way that Luca was playing did you see the shots that Hardaway Jr. was making Finney Smith like like did you not watch the series at all this game this series could have ended in game six, if Kawhi Leonard didn't give the Clippers 45, it's, it, to say that I think is ridiculous. And on the contrary, the Clippers should look at it completely opposite and understand that they just did something very significant. It's funny because there are so many different ways you could look at this series. And you could say, you know what, the Clippers would have won if they would have made their shots. And Dallas could say, you know what, we would have won if we would have hit one or two threes in this possession, or I mean, on in this quarter versus that quarter, in this game versus that game, both teams could say that they could have won in five or six games if something went their way. But that's just the sign of a great series where two teams are so evenly matched. And sure, the Clippers are the better team, but what Luca was doing during this series, and I mentioned it yesterday when I talked with Justin Wilson, we were saying that it really seemed like Luca and Tim Hardaway Jr turned into Steph and Clay, And that's not something that you anticipate when you go into a series against Dallas. You don't expect those two guys to do as well as they did. And granted, Tim Hardaway Jr. was awful today. He was one of nine from three. We'll see how much he gets paid in the offseason. But Luka was 17 of 30. He was five of 11 from three. 46 points, seven rebounds, 14 assists. To watch that guy put up those numbers and still win by double figures Man, it just shows how, A, how good Luka Doncic is, but B, more importantly, how good the Clippers were today and how it takes a team effort to win these types of games, and the Clippers did. But hats off to Dallas, because I think this could end up being one of the toughest matchup that matchups the Clippers could have gotten. And I know we've talked, I mean, I said it yesterday with uh, Justin, we were talking about the whole losing the last two games, and I said, well, Dallas was trying to lose two to avoid this matchup. You don't expect to get this Luka Doncic, but all things considered for the Clippers to make the adjustments they did, it shows that the Clippers are a team that is not going to be overwhelmed by the moment and a certain player, which should suit them well going forward. Absolutely, man. I completely agree. And I think that that's something that people aren't talking about enough because I think they're just so focused in on Clippers slander and the Clippers potential failure that they're not looking at facts like the ones that you just mentioned. They're not looking at what just happened in this past series, what they overcame in this past series, because man, 
it was looking bad for a while. It really was. I mean, even when they fell down 3-2, you felt like, man, you had to get that one because we are just perhaps one game away from the Mavs role players going back to what they did in games one and two, and then it'll be, you know, Cancun on three. So we were extremely concerned, and I think uh, that was a valid concern early in the series. And for the people who are ignoring uh, the trends of this series and especially what it can mean for the Clippers going forward, I really I really think are doing a disservice to, to what the Clippers overcame. You talk about trends. Well, the Clippers came in as the favorite in this series, and if you bet on the Clippers at mybookie.ag, you can collect your money. I tell people to bet with mybookie. Their rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. So the only place I trust to handle my NBA-related bets, my Premier League-related bets, college basketball, college football, wherever you want to bet, you may look and say, hey, this place might be good, this place might be better. No, mybookie is the best place to go. I don't give out my stamp of approval easily. You've got to be the best at what you do. My bookie's the best sports book out there, period. It's simple. Enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. That's the promo code HOOPBALL. Head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. I want to talk about Ty Lue, Joey, because we went through an entire series last year where Clippers fans were screaming at Doc to put in Zoo because Trez was so bad. And he didn't do it. He didn't make the adjustment. But what an absolute clinic put on by Ty Lue in this series. They fall behind 2-0. He makes the change, puts Marcus Morris into the starting lineup. I mean, pardon me, he puts um, Nick Batum in the starting lineup. He benches Zoo, which is tough to do. I mean, he decides, you know what, let's go with Reggie, PG, Morris, Kawhi, and Batum. Then he has Terrence Mann, who he throws in to the series. Then last game, and even more today, it's Luke Kennard that comes into the game. Rondo goes from playing 20-plus minutes to only nine minutes today after he had a really bad last three games. The amount of adjustments that Lou made in just this series alone is more than what we saw, it seemed, in a handful of years with Doc Rivers at the helm. And Doc obviously was great, what he did to the Clippers to put them on the map, but Ty Lu seemed like he was the perfect coach in the moment for this team, and he showed why everyone was excited about him coming into this series. Share your thoughts on what you thought of Ty Lu's performance. Oh my goodness, man. I'm glad you asked that because I can talk for an entire podcast just on the adjustments that Ty Lu made, but primarily uh, it's it's the first couple that you mentioned, and it was recognizing that as great as Zoo had been all season long, this was a tough matchup for him because Luca is an, a LeBron-type player in the way that he facilitates and orchestrates an entire offense by himself, and he was drawing Zoo out every single time and getting that switch on the perimeter and the Clippers were having a lot of trouble with that matchup. Obviously Zoo is a great rim protector, but he's not a guy you want out on the perimeter defending Luka. So Tyloo recognized that and he said, you know what? I believe that not only will our defense benefit by sliding Batum into that five spot where Zoo uh, normally would be, but also our offense, we get a little bit quicker. And I think that really helped because 
not only were the Clippers able to switch one through five after subbing in Batum for Zoo, but also they were able to play a lot faster and generate better looks because I think Batum is one of the best in the league in terms of role players when it comes to catching the ball on the perimeter and penetrating the painted area and finding open shooters. I don't think people talk about enough how good he is at doing that, and he was so crucial to the Clippers' shooting percentages going up as the series continued because he was not only knocking down shots himself, but he was getting into the paint, kicking to open shooters. Even if he wasn't getting the assist, he was getting the hockey assist. He was fantastic. And then to speak to the second point, talking about inserting Reggie Jackson in for Pat Bev, I was actually wrong about that going into the series. I thought Pat Bev would play uh, more than any of the Clippers' other guards just because of his defensive ability on guys like Luka uh, and, and some of the other more dynamic uh, combo guard-type players like THJ and others that they have on that team. But uh, Luka obviously showed that a player of Pat Bev's size is simply just too small for him. And Ty Lue recognized that, and he said, you know what, we are going to insert Reggie Jackson not because we think he's a better defender on Luka, but because we think he gives us a better advantage on the offensive end, and then we will now up the defensive responsibility of guys like Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, uh, Nick Batum, and that's exactly what they did, and man, it worked out perfectly. We'll look ahead to the series with Utah in a little bit because we definitely need to do that. But to echo what you said, I mean, the the ability of Reggie Jackson to give you actual scoring when Kawhi and PG were not coming through in certain moments. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that the Reggie Jackson was the guy that was taking the threes at the end of the game today that was either living or dying. I mean, the Clippers were seriously going to put it all on Reggie Jackson. I mean, he was missing a couple, but he finally hit two huge ones that won the game for them. And it's just that type of thing, this Clippers team, that you never know who you're going to get it from. But what's interesting, and we've talked about in this pod before, so Zoo and Pat Bev are the guys that, coming into the playoffs, you could have said that they very well were number three and number four the most important players for the Clippers. Those two guys combined... For three total minutes today. Zoo played three. Pat Bev was a DNP CD. Now, what's interesting, and it goes to what we were saying about Ty Lu, he now has the ability in this series against Utah to make another adjustment. He can start Pat Bev if he wanted to against a guy like Mike Conley. He could go ahead and start Zoo against Rudy Gobert. It seems like the Clippers now have so many different options because their team is so deep, and we were wondering what would happen with the minutes in the playoffs. And it really does seem it's going to be a game-by-game game situation. And I have no idea how the Clippers are going to start with their starting five in game one against Utah. I, you would think that Zoo would come back into the starting lineup to match up against Gobert. But the thing is, the Clippers now have the ability to make different changes as the series goes on, which is what they were able to do against the series against this uh, Dallas Mavericks team, which should bode well going forward. What are your thoughts on this team and, and all the different strings that Ty Lue can pull? Well, well, again, I'm glad you brought it up because I really wanted to talk about that. Obviously, I'm going to make a, uh, a series preview breakdown here. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I want to do a video uh, on the end of this series and then do another one for the, for the Jazz series. We'll see if I have enough time to do both. But I'll definitely be getting a video out for the uh, Utah Jazz series preview. And man, I think this is a series 
you know, the Jazz are good, man. They are a solid team. But I think this is a series that the Clippers actually match up a little bit better in than they did in the Dallas series. And the primary reason is the guard play. You can play Patrick Beverly. Actually, you're going to have to play Patrick Beverly in this series. I think I could say that pretty confidently because if you go back and look at the regular season matchups between the Jazz and the Clippers, the Utah Jazz absolutely dominated the Clippers when Pat Bev was off the floor because their guard play is what they live on. Donovan Mitchell, and we'll see if Mike Conley is, is able to go. He's, he's dealing with some injuries. Yeah. But those two guys absolutely broke down the Clippers' guard play when Pat Bev went to the bench. So I'm not sure if you'd be able to survive uh, starting Reggie and playing him as many minutes as you did in round one. Uh, so we'll, we'll see about that. And then also, as you mentioned, the potential uh, center decision that Tsai Lu has to make. I think he definitely should start Zoo because while it may be enticing to try to go small and draw Gobert out of the paint, and I don't... Uh, I, I don't think that they they won't try that at some point, but I think that you definitely do need to start Zoo and just to to get him inside battling on the boards a bit. Um, but you do have that option because Rudy Gobert's best asset to the Utah Jazz is his rim protection. If let's say for example you wanted to start Nick Batum and bring Rudy Gobert, force him to come out of the paint, that is an option that I wouldn't be surprised to see them try at some point. But I definitely do think that Zoo is going to have a much bigger role in round two than he did in round one. Yeah, I mean, Boban had 14 points and 10 rebounds today in 31 minutes. Just imagine what Gobert would do um, with that type of role that Boban had, where he was getting the ball in really good positions down low. And Boban, obviously, not the type of scorer that Gobert is. And Gobert is much better defensively as well. So you thought the Clippers were having a hard time getting to the paint the last couple of games? Just wait till Gobert is in the center. It's going to be much harder if you don't have a guy like Zoo on the floor um, to match up with him. So I'll be fascinated to see what happens in that series. You know what? Let's go ahead. Let's talk about that series because why not? I, I mean, it, we we broke down this series a little bit. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot more I want to talk about. Actually, you know what? One more thing. Let's talk about Terrence Mann because Brian Seaman said it during the season that there's going to be a game that Terrence Mann is going to win the Clippers in the playoffs. He didn't quite win this game by himself because the Clippers were so damn good all around. But for T-Man to get 13 points, 5 rebounds, 5 of 10 from the field, more importantly, 2 of 3 from 3, also played some great defense. He and Luke Kennard were both a plus 14 on the floor. Man, T-Man, I've given the Clippers front office a hard time on this pod with how poorly they've drafted in the past. And frankly, it's true. The Clippers just have not had many guys that have contributed in a rotation during the playoffs. But for T-Man to do what he did, it seems like the Clippers finally did find a diamond in the rough. I completely agree, man. He is a guy that we have been begging to play more. We have seen what he does when he gets in the game. And like you said, perhaps the most important thing he did today was knock down those open threes. I'll take it a step further and say the most important he, thing he did was take those open threes because something we saw from him early in his career and even early this season was hesitancy to shoot those shots. But as the season progressed and as he got more minutes due to injuries or uh, good play, whatever got him in the rotation, he gained that confidence to know I can knock that shot down. And not only can I do it in the regular season, not only can I do it in the playoffs, but I can do it in a game seven 
in a tight game seven with the game on the line, with the game in the balance, I can take and make this shot. And I don't think it can be overstated how important that level of play and that level of confidence is going to be in the next round. And it helps that Luke Kennard is a guy that has a little bit of a confidence going into the next round as well. For him to get 11 points and go three of five from three, I thought he even passed up a couple of times on some open threes. He didn't hit his shots last game, but it was good process that got him those open looks. And for him to hit those threes, I know that everyone's talked about the $64 million price tag, which again, I'll say it, for the millionth time on this podcast, it doesn't start till next year, the contract. So I understand, listen, I've been amongst some of the most vocal critics of Luke Kennard and how he has not lived up to the guy we thought he was going to be. But let's not forget how long this guy was away from basketball and how this team is stacked. And there isn't that go-to role that he had in Detroit that he's got here with the Clippers. I mean, he is coming off the bench and he's playing the side piece to about six or seven different guys. So let, let's wait and see. You get him for moments like this where the Clippers had to face a zone and they needed somebody to shoot the ball and make it. And Luke Kennard did. So he gets a little bit of confidence as well. So that was massive. And stuff like that is why the Clippers win. I mean, a guy like Kennard pops off and that's when you see PG get his 10 assists because the ball movement was so good that everybody was chipping in. L- let's talk about the Utah series because this is a Utah team that is very, very good. And the Clippers are facing a squad that can shoot, they can rebound, and they beat the crap out of the Grizzlies when it mattered. And they could play different types of games. They could slow it down on you. They can absolutely score. They put up 126 um, in the final game against the Grizzlies. And the other games, 120, 121, 141, and 109. So when you look at this series against Utah, and I know you talked about it a little bit, what scares you the most about this Utah team? I would say the same thing that I mentioned a little bit ago, and it's their dynamic guard play. That's something that the Clippers have struggled with all season long, and I think it's directly tied to Pat Bev's availability and also uh, his, his foul trouble because if he's on the floor, at least historically, and what the numbers represent, he does a great job at limiting the effectiveness of smaller guards like Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. But when he's off the floor, the Clippers don't have another guy who can really defend guys like that. Obviously, Kawhi and PG are, are their skill set defensively is a little more suited towards guarding bigger wings, not uh, speedier and quicker, smaller guards. So Pat Bev is the guy that they need to be healthy, available, and out of foul trouble in this series. And hey, maybe I'll be wrong again because I thought that he was a guy they would need much more in this series. But I'm going to go through the film and the stats. I've already done it a little bit. And if if those trends hold, I certainly think you can expect to see a lot more Pat Bev in round two. Because to answer your question, my biggest concern would be their dynamic guard play. And then especially if those guards are uh, beating their initial defender, getting into the paint, collapsing the defense, and then kicking op- uh, kicking out to the open shooters like Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles and, and other guys like that. So uh, I would say that's probably my biggest concern as of right now. It's hard to look at the regular season and take a lot out of it. The Clippers lost two of three to Utah, but if you look at the two losses for the Clippers, one of them, Kawhi and PG didn't play. So, and Marcus Morris didn't play in one of the other losses. 
So they lost 106-100. Morris didn't play in that game. They lost 114-96. And Kawhi and PG didn't play in that game. And then the win, the 116-112 win, they had PG and Kawhi. And they had Morris and they had Batum. So they had those guys. Abaka, of course, is who knows what's going to happen with him going forward. But it's hard to take a lot into the regular season. Um, are you taking much out of the regular season where the Clippers lost two of three to Utah? Or is it just you look and Clippers didn't have Kawhi and PG in one of the games. They didn't have Morris in another. Uh, the record really doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, it's really more so the trends that I look at. Uh, and that all comes through the film. So I wouldn't really pay too much attention to the head to head record. I would look at the trends and that's what I'm going to break down in my uh, preview, because even if they were missing Kawhi or they were missing Morris or they were missing this guy or that guy, you can still look at certain things and say, okay, Donovan Mitchell really feasted on Reggie Jackson or really feasted on Luke Kennard and didn't do so well when defended by Pat Bev. It's like you can look at those things and draw some conclusions from that uh, much more than you can draw conclusions from the actual uh, head-to-head record. And that's what I tried to do in, in my Dallas series preview as well, and I think that that's what um, I mean. the team's going to do when they're preparing for the next series. That's what Ty Lue's job is, is to look at these things and understand what works and what doesn't uh, and try to put his team in the best position to win. So uh, uh, to answer your question, no, I wouldn't take too much away from the head-to-head record. One small number from the Clippers' 116-112 win over Utah in that game, Ibaka was a minus seven and Zoo was a plus 12. So that was in 17 minutes. So just something to keep an eye on. It, it really does feel like Zoo is going to end up being probably the most important player um, in this series for the Clippers. And I could be dead wrong. The, the Clippers very well could end up going with that small lineup that they've gone with the last several games. Um, but it, it just seems to me that Zoo is going to be the most important player in this series. Do, who, who do you think will be the most important player? Because it does seem like you could pick a number of different players on the Clippers team. Oh, I completely agree with that last sentiment that you shared, that you can pick a number of different players. And I'm not going to say Kawhi or PG because I think it's a little bit too easy. I think it's kind of implied that yeah. you're going to need those guys to be who they are and who they can be. But man, I, I could be wrong on this because I was a guy who who said this, as I've said a couple times on the pod already in round one, but I really do think that Pat Bev is going to be the third most important clipper in this series because like I've, <laughs> it's I sound like a broken record now, but it's that dynamic guard play from Utah that makes them so dangerous. They, those guys get into the paint and they kick out to open shooters. They score, they create for themselves. And Pat Bev is the one guy on the Clippers who is really created to stop point of attack, uh, to be a point of attack defender, and uh, especially against guards. So I think that he is going to be extremely important in this series. I, I, I am. It's it's going to be hard for me to say that Ty Lue is going to start him just because of how well Reggie played. So I think that's really up in the air whether or not that's going to be the case. But I really do think his defense is going to be crucial. But if we're not talking Pat Bev, I'm going to go right back to Marcus Morris, a guy who I have really been vocal about what his shooting means to the Clippers because with Kawhi being as great as Kawhi has been and as efficient as he has been, teams are going to say, you know what? We're going to make somebody else beat us. We're going to make Paul George. They, they'll make Paul George beat them before they make Kawhi beat them. So they will send a double at Kawhi. I guarantee you we'll see that in this Utah series. And that swing, swing pass is going to find Marcus Morris open in the corner more times than not. And the result of that open shot is going to be a big, 
big determining factor in this series. How crazy is it that your player is someone that didn't play in the last several games of the series, and my player is someone that only played three minutes? It's just it's nuts, right? That that we're in this situation, and our most important player is someone that hasn't even played basically the last several ball games. Hey, that's the Western Conference, man. I mean, you're playing a bunch of teams that are really good, but really different. Like, for example, Luka Doncic. He's 6'7", 6'8". He's huge. And, and that's the Dallas Mavericks' best player. Go right into the next series. You're playing Donovan Mitchell, who's like a 6'3 guard. Way different type of player. So you're going to have to attack him differently than you attack Luka. So I think that... It's just the nature of the beast in this Western Conference. You're facing a lot of teams who are really built from the ground up. A lot of these teams are are playing with their core, and that just creates a, a different style of basketball for each of them. And I think that that's the beauty of the game because that's, I think, what makes basketball so cool. I think for a few years we saw everybody kind of trying to mimic Golden State, uh, but now the Western Conference, for the first time in a while, you see a bunch of teams with their own identity, and you need to adjust accordingly. So I do agree that it is certainly unique that guys like Pat Bev and Zoo, who really were, I don't want to say non-factors, but guys who didn't have a very big role in round one could potentially be the third, fourth, fifth most important player in round two. I know this is a really tough question to answer because we have seen the Clippers just show us very different lineups and very different rotations, but what's your ultimate top eight? in this series because you have a ton of different players that you could roll out there if you're the Clippers. And you know that Kawhi, PG are going to be there. You know Batum and Morris are going to be there. But after that, you've got Reggie Jackson. You've got Mann. You've got Kennard. You've got Zoo. You've got Pat Bev. There are a ton of different guys that you can throw out there if you're the Clippers. What's your top eight? Or do you feel like this is going to be one of those series where everyone is going to need to participate? Well, I think it's going to depend on whether whether or not Ibaka is healthy because I think this is a series that they could actually really use him. Let's say he's not let, because he's been say no. Yeah, I mean that back it seems like is a concern, and even when I, I would agree. Play. Yeah, it doesn't seem very very likely that he is going to be um, ready to go in round two. So yeah, I guess we could say no. Um, I I would probably lean more towards uh, the second option that you gave and say that I think everybody's going to get uh, some sort of role because we actually saw that here in round one. You know, going into this series, I probably would have predicted zero total minutes for Luke Kennard. I probably that's just where I was leaning. Yeah. Uh, but man, T. Lou realized that. Listen, with Luca off the floor, we don't have to worry about Kennard getting matchup hunted on defense. We need shooting. Let's throw him out there, and he was great. So I could see something similar happening in this series. Like when Donovan Mitchell is out there on the floor, you're probably going to want to try to match his minutes with Pat Bev as close as possible. But when he's not on the floor, that's when you could start utilizing guys like Reggie and and Luke, guys that and, and Rondo even, guys that are uh, smaller guards but maybe give you a little bit more on offense. And I do want to speak about Rondo a little bit because I think that that is something that we should keep an eye on. Yeah. He was really not good in this series at all. And with the positive play of Luke Kennard and Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson, 
it's hard to justify giving Rondo a significant amount of minutes going forward into the next round because, you know, I understand you could say, oh, you know, he'll work his way out of it, man. Like, this is the playoffs, you know what I mean? There's not a lot of time to waste. Every minute is very valuable in the playoffs. So as good as Rondo was for the Clippers in the regular season, uh, he, he hasn't really been that in the playoffs. He's been not great defensively. He's been kind of turnover prone and hasn't been making his shots or his layups. So I think that I would probably bump him out in favor of, of a guy like T-Man. Yeah, man, I would not want to be Ty Lue right now because he's got so many different decisions to make now. And I didn't even bring up Rondo when I was talking about the top eight. And he was pretty good the first couple of games. And especially when they went to that high screen with Rondo to uh, help out Kawhi and give him some good looks. And that allowed the Clippers to find some open players in the corner. So he played a good role at one point, but he was awful the last couple of games. And it's funny because you, you really don't know who you're going to need in a given moment. And you talk about obviously team man, and he has certainly earned minutes in this series. It's going to be fascinating because the Clippers have so many different guys they can throw out there. It really will be tough for Ty Lue to figure out who he's going to play. We'll give series prediction in just a moment. But first I got to tell you guys about our friends over at Manscaped. Father's Day is just around the corner. You probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year. Get himself and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. I know you have some grooming routines for below the belt. Sometimes you're using scissors. Sometimes you're doing some crazy stuff. You're getting those nicks, those cuts, and you want to avoid getting those. What do you need? You need the Lawnmower 4.0. They allow you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. It gives you the ability to turn that LED spotlight on when needed for a more precise shave. I'm telling you, Lawnmower 4.0 is just different than other trimmers and different in the best way possible. Also, the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear and Hair Trimmer is the best nose and hair trimmer on the market and the perfect gift for your pops. Get 20% off and free shipping with code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know they will use. All right, Joey, let's talk series predictions because we are now at the point where the series begins in just a couple of days. The Clippers have to quickly move on from this series against the Dallas Mavericks. You're facing a Utah Jazz team that was the best team in the NBA during the regular season as the Jazz finished up with a record of 52-20. and The Clippers five games back at 47-25. and this is a tough one to handicap because it just feels like there's so many different players that could really pop off for both teams. I mean, for Utah, if Conley is healthy, and like you said, he's been battling that injury. You have Conley, you have Gobert, you have Mitchell, of course, Bogdanovich. Ingles seems to be a Clippers killer ever since the Clippers got rid of him. And for the Clippers, of course, it's anybody in the starting five from today. And then, of course, you've got Man, you've got Kennard that can pop off for a game. Rondo, who knows? It, it seems like it's going to be another chess match. And these are two very good coaches in Ty Lue and Quinn Snyder. It has the feel of seven games again. And it worries me that you go seven and you have to win at Utah. It feels like that's a much tougher environment to win a game seven than at Staples Center or winning a game six in Dallas. So I think if the Clippers are going to win, I feel like it's got to happen in six. If they go seven, I think Utah pulls it out. What are your thoughts on the series? 
I actually share the same sentiment as you do. I was going to say Clippers in six or Jazz in seven because I think it's going to be really difficult, as you mentioned, just to beat them in a game seven on the road. Not to say it can't happen. We saw the Clippers win on the road in game six in a very hostile environment. But, man, I've never felt comfortable playing in Utah. It just has always been one of those places where it feels like the Clippers struggle. I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe it's just because I lived through, you know, that series um, that we played them, I believe it was the last playoff series the Clippers had before 2019 uh, when they lost in 2017. Um, but it's just one of those places to play that just feels difficult it just feels like you're always grinding um and i i wouldn't like to go into an environment like that in a game seven but i will provide a little bit of optimism for clipper fans i do believe that this is a series that the clippers can certainly win in less than seven games i think this is a better matchup for the clippers than the dallas mavericks were for a lot of different reasons and uh, another one of those being uh the the wing defenders of Utah, you know, I think the wing defenders of Dallas are a little bit underrated. I think the wing defenders of Utah are not quite on the level of guys like Richardson and Kleba. Um, even Finney Smith, I feel like, did a pretty good job this series. Um, but just the 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 skill level of the Dallas Mavericks wing defenders is something that I don't think gets talked about enough. Like Kawhi obviously got his, but I think part of the reason why Paul George struggled was guys like Josh Richardson did a really good job on him. Kleba is a big, strong body that can make things tough. Utah doesn't really have many guys like that because like I talked about, they're so focused on their guard play. Um, so that leaves a lot of minutes for guys like Jordan Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley. Uh, none of those guys are really great defenders. So I think that that is probably the biggest advantage the Clippers will have in this series that they did not have in round one, which is why I can be a little bit more optimistic that this series could potentially go better than uh, the series against Dallas did. You bring up 2017 and two different teams than what we have now. I mean, you look at Utah, they had Joe Johnson, Gordon Hayward, Boris Diaw. The Clippers had Blake, CP, DeAndre Jordan. But it is worth mentioning that the Clippers were the home team in that series. It went seven. The Clippers lost in seven games as Utah won at the Staples Center in game seven. But the Clippers were in a must-win game in game six at Utah in Salt Lake down 3-2 in the series, and the Clippers won that one 98-93. So, yes, Utah is a very good home court, but it is certainly winnable to win a game there. So I think I'm going to go Clippers in six. I think that'll be my final prediction. I do think that Bogdan Bogdanovich is going to be huge in this series. It just seems like that's a guy that can get 20 to 30 points if he starts to get hot from three. And what will happen is if he starts to hit his threes, then the focus kind of goes on him, and then you leave – Guys like Ingles, Conley if he's healthy, and of course Mitchell, just more room to operate, and it could really hurt you. So it feels like Bogdanovich is going to be the key for me on that Utah team for the Clippers to end up winning, and they need to slow him down. I would certainly agree. It's always about the others, man. I don't think people talk about that enough in the playoffs, how important role players are. Because you can, if, if we're talking about stars, you can pencil in your stars for their averages or better in the playoffs. That's just the way it goes. But, man, can the other guys step up and give them help? I really think the difference in every single 
Clippers Mavericks game in this series, aside from game six where Kawhi single handedly carried, was the role players. Did they step up and make shots? Uh, in the Clippers wins, more often than not, they did. And in the in the Dallas wins, they definitely did. So I think that trend is going to continue into this Utah series, especially with players like Bogdanovich. But then that's why I also bring up Marcus Morris when talking about the most important players on the Clippers. All right, Joey, this has been awesome. A nice game seven breakdown. The Clippers win a big relief. The Clippers got this win and a hell of a team effort. This is the Clippers team that we saw all year and a nice look ahead to what the series will pose against the Utah Jazz. Joey, where can everybody find you? I know that you've posting your clips on YouTube. You've also got your Twitter and your Instagram. So go ahead and, and tell people where they can find you. Oh, yes, sir. I appreciate it. So as I've talked about a couple times throughout the pod, I do YouTube breakdowns uh, on YouTube at Clips Convos and then my Instagram, same handle, Clips.Convos and then Twitter, Joey Lynn underscore. I wish I had more time to produce more content and also do more pods, but I get stuff out as often as I can. And I really appreciate the people who interact with me on those uh, different platforms. Joey, it's always great having you on, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time to join the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Yes, sir. Always a pleasure. And as I said, man, always much more fun after a win. Hopefully we're doing this again here uh, in a couple weeks. Yes, sir. He's Joey. I'm Brandon. Until next time, you can follow me on Twitter at BD Marcus. You can follow the Hoopball Clippers Twitter account at Hoopball Clips. Until next time, we'll talk to you during the week as the Clippers take on the Utah Jazz. Have a good one, everybody, and go Clips. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.